And uh, we're going to take a break from our 1 Corinthians series um, until January. And we're going to look at the passage that, that Tim read. And as we think of Christmas, a lot of different things come to our minds, especially when we think of Christmas festivities. Uh, so if you think of your favorite Christmas traditions, uh, your favorite uh, uh, thoughts that, that, are, that come into your mind when you think of Christmas, uh, what would they be, I wonder? Maybe it would be Christmas decorations. See, the auditorium here is nicely decorated. Uh, maybe it would be uh, Christmas lights. Um, every, uh, I, I love colored lights. Rachel loves white lights. So what saved our marriage is we bought a, uh, an artificial tree. We don't do the real ones, but we bought a nice artificial tree, and, and you can change the colors to white or colored. So the battle is who's going to wake up first in the morning to, to turn the lights on. Uh, maybe Christmas treats you think about. Think about just various traditions that you and your family do. Many times traditions don't even, the best traditions don't even start out as traditions, right? Just random things you do with your family, and then it kind of just catches and you wind up doing it every year. Uh, when you try to make a tradition, it usually doesn't become one. It's those, those surprise things. One of the things I often think about when it comes to Christmas is just the giving and receiving of gifts. I mean, everybody likes to, to give and receive gifts, right? It, it's fun to give a surprise gift to someone. It, it's fun uh, to receive a surprise gift. In fact, as a, as a kid growing up, you know, when I would think about gifts, I mean, it was all about receiving gifts, right? You know, what do I want for Christmas? And, and it's fun to get stuff. And then as you, as you get older, as you grow up, uh, if you have a family, as you start to have children, um, giving gifts is kind of the exciting thing, isn't it? Seeing the surprise look on your children's faces and, and their excitement. It's fun to, to give gifts, and it's, it's, it's neat how that, that kind of transition takes place throughout life. But I want to focus in, uh, over these next two weeks, about giving. And we have to realize as Christians that there is a bigger event than kind of traditions of Christmas that marks the giving and receiving of gifts for God's people. That bigger event that, than, than just simply um, Christmas festivities is the cross of Jesus Christ. In fact, we expand that to the very birth of Christ that we celebrate at Christmas. And knowing that that manger, it leads to a cross. And that cross leads to an empty tomb, the resurrection. Our giving is really a reflection on all that Jesus gave to us. And our lives are to be marked by giving as Christ gave to us. So the main takeaway from from these next couple sermons that, that I'm going to be giving is simply this, that we are to be a giving people. We're to be a giving people. We're going to see from the context of 2 Corinthians 8, um, and really chapter 9, we're not going to look in chapter 9, but that's the specific context of giving is financial giving. But really, we as Christians are to be marked by giving Yes, with our finances, but with all of our lives. It is all a gift. And we're to be marked as a giving people. But the question arises, and we're going to look at this from, from the text. Um, how do we give as Christians? Because we're really not called to give out of guilt. We're not called to give out of uh, coercion, to be forced to give. But we're called to give out of gratefulness for really for all we've received. In other words, 
we as Christians are called to give out of our abundance. And as we're going to see from our text, not simply out of our abundance of physical resources, out of the abundance of all that we have been given spiritually. And then we are also called to give according to the means that God has called us to, to give tangibly according to how God has tangibly blessed us. So that's what we're going to be looking at for the next two weeks. We're going to be seeing that Paul is, is exhorting these Corinthian believers to finish collecting an offering that they started a year ago, according to the time of this writing. And we're going to see this, uh, this morning and next week, we're going to look from verses 1 to 15 at four reasons why we as Christians are to be a giving people. If we're called to be a giving people, what are four reasons that are to dictate what our giving looks like, where it comes from? So my prayer for, for you, my prayer for me, is that we would reevaluate our giving, our giving in all areas, financial, time, commitment, priority to the Lord. We would reevaluate these things in light of our text, what we're going to see. So let's start with a word of prayer, and we're going to jump into to some of these reasons. Lord, I pray that this morning that you would speak to our hearts. Father, we thank you for the Christmas season, and Lord, it really is a special time. Father, it's a, it's a special time that we really focus in on, your, on the birth of Jesus and, and all that that means. Lord, of course, we know that there's so many competing themes uh, there's so much competing holiday busyness that can flood out that true reason for Christmas. But Lord, I pray that this year that you would guide us in thinking about how you have so richly given to us. Lord, it doesn't matter what amount of money is in our bank accounts. Lord, we are all, if we have come to receive the gift of Jesus, we are so enormously rich. Lord, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Tim read verses 1 to 15 of, uh, of chapter 8. And normally, you know, we start at the beginning of, our, uh, of, the, of the passage and, and we kind of look at what it has to say in order. But this morning, um, if you're not in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I invite you to turn there. Uh, we're also going to be in Philippians chapter 2, so you can uh, put a marker there. But we are going to, before we jump back to verse 1, we are going to go to the middle of this passage. And we're going to start reading in verse 8. Verse 8 says, and this is really the heartbeat of this passage. Paul says, I say this, and we're going to talk about what he's saying as we go back to verse 1, but just starting out here, I say this not as a command, and he's talking here about collecting this offering, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. And then we get to verse 9, and, and, and this is really the crux here. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Why do we give as Christians? Why are we called to be a giving people? This is where it all starts. Number, reason number one is that we give because Christ has first given 
to us. We give because Christ has first given to us. We are not the ones that take the initiative when it comes to giving. There may be certain needs that come up that we do give to. Whether that's financially, with our time, with our efforts, with our our spiritual gifts that God has given us. But we are never the initiators of giving. Because the thing that is to dictate our giving in life is what Jesus has already given us. Now verse 8 Paul says, I say this, talking about this offering, and we're going to talk more about this when we jump back into the text. But he says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. How are these Christians to express their love? And in the context here, it is a financial gift they're collecting uh, for some individuals, Titus and some companions, to take to the Jerusalem church that's in need. They were to mark their love if it was truly genuine love by action. You see, when we give because Christ is first given to us and and, and we realize what Christ has given us and we are a giving people, our giving is first of all always going to be found as something that is tangible. Our giving is an act of tangible love. I mean, you all know, I mean, uh, if you're in a dating relationship or if you're married or whatever the case may be, how good are you at expressing your love if it's never shown tangibly? Whether it's with a, a letter or a note or your time, or your investment in that person? How are your kids to know that you truly love them if you're not taking time for them, or your grandkids, or or your friends, or whatever the case is? It's not enough to simply say, I love you. And in, in the context of this passage, there was a need that arose in the global body of Christ. There was a need that arose in the church of Jerusalem. And this was an opportunity for the church in Corinth to be able to actively show their love for their fellow brothers and sisters by not just seeing a need, but by acting upon it. In fact, in Romans 15 we read about the the Jerusalem church and and that it was hurting. And, And Paul is going around and he's encouraging many various churches to be giving to this need. Uh, Paul writes the Romans, and the verse will be on the overhead. He says, at present, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. So we don't know what the issue was that was happening in Jerusalem, but they needed help. And he says, for Macedonia, and Paul's going to talk about Macedonia in our passage, and Achaia, um, right there uh, uh, where Corinth was, have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. And then notice it says, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, that's the Jewish people, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. So whether it was persecution that was going on, whether it was famine, whether it was um, whatever was, was happening within the Jerusalem church, there was a great need. In fact, the Jerusalem church when there came up a a controversy about should Gentiles be circumcised. And and, uh, Paul uh, gathered together with the apostles and the the, the Jewish leaders uh, of the Jewish church, and they said, no, it is not right to, to put on the conscience of Gentiles to be circumcised. And Paul's explaining this to the Galatian church. In Galatians 2.10 it says, 
Only they have asked us, those, the apostles and leaders in Jerusalem, to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So we see here the need as a giving people that we tangibly give. Those of you that were involved in the live nativity, you tangibly gave of your time, your efforts, your gifts, your abilities. It's amazing to see everybody coming together um, according to, in different ways that God has wired them to bring this all together. I mean, I can't imagine Terry building the sets. <laughs> or myself. But we see a, a tangible giving here. And Paul begins here uh, as we really want to, to, to focus in on verse 9. But before we get there, talking about this giving, notice that Paul says in verse 8, I say this not as a command. You see, giving is not to be laborious. It's not to be just a heavy weight. Coerced giving is not true Christian giving. Forced giving In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, still talking about this gift, uh, notice that Paul says uh, in, in verse 5, he says that he w- desires at the end of verse 5 that it be, may it be a ready, may it be ready as a willing gift, not as an exaction or, or something is that, that is just expected and forced. And then in verse 7 of chapter 9, he says, Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul here in in 2 Corinthians 8, he says, Listen, our giving as Christians, it's not to be just I'm giving because I have to. Or I'm giving to somehow earn some type of favor with God. Don't you hear a lot about that on Christian TV? You know, send this money in and God's just going to bless you tenfold. And yes, God does bless as we give, but it's not always with more money. But then he says not only... Do, I'm not saying this forcing you. I'm not saying this as a command. But I want you to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. The others that he's talking about here is what we're going to see when we jump back to verse 1. The Macedonian church. Paul uses them as an example of how they sacrificially gave. And he says, I want you to show your true love for your fellow brothers and sisters that aren't even right where you are living. This is a global perspective. This is a perspective that we see beyond our own neighborhoods. That we see what God is desiring to do across the world and to be a part in that. And how brothers and sisters are hurting across the world. And we are a part of helping. We see that giving reflects genuine love. That the Macedonian church, they were not meant, Paul didn't bring them up to heap guilt on the Corinthian church. He he brought them up to be an encouragement, an example of what others were doing, not, to, not to, to emulate them, but to say, man, we need to have a heartbeat for Christ, like what we're seeing there. It's all done for Christ. Let our love be genuine. So why do we give? Why are we to be a giving people? We give because Christ is first given to us. And if that really does grip our hearts, our giving is always going to be tangible. It's not just going to be thought only. But if our giving is because Christ has first given to us, 
what we begin to realize is that when we give, what it really is, is it's simply an act of response. An act of response to what Jesus has already given us. And that's what verse 9 is all about. Talking about genuine love. Love that, that, that doesn't just say the words I love you, but shows I love you. Guess who he brings up as an example of this? Jesus. You know that familiar verse, John 3.16? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Did you know that that word so, what that word so is saying is not God loved the world so, so much, though that is true. What that word so means is this is the way that we know God loved the world. Or, in this manner, God has loved the world. How? He gave His only begotten Son. You see, we know God's love, not only because of who He is, but because of what He has done. God's love was a tangible love to us. And now when we tangibly give, it is simply responding to what God has tangibly done for us. And verse 9 shows that if we are a Christian, if we have truly placed our faith in Christ, we have repented from our sins, we've turned from our sins to Jesus as Lord and Savior, we have experienced Jesus' grace. His giving to us. Verse 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We've experienced Jesus' grace. What, what uh, Paul is talking about here, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, he's not just saying you have a head knowledge of this grace, but you have truly experienced this grace in your life. This is actually, we're going to see, uh, when we jump back to verse 1 and go through the text, this is actually the fifth occurrence out of ten occurrences in chapters 8 and 9 of this word grace. This is an important word in this passage. Jesus' grace was manifested to us through what He did and what He gave this was the concrete expression of Jesus' love for us, in other words. That even when we are going through the darkest of times, we need not doubt God's love because we know He has given us the most precious gift, Jesus Himself. And that gift was an act of grace. Undeserved action. Not only if we are believers this morning, though, have we experienced Jesus' grace, we have the example of Jesus' grace displayed for us. What does Jesus' grace look like? And folks, the, the second part of verse 9, this is not just something that happened in the past, that I got saved, and, and, and this is true back then, and now I'm just kind of living this Christian life. No, Verse 9 is true every single day of your life if you're a Christian. Look at what it says. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. And here's the everydayness of the gospel. So that you, by his poverty, might become rich. Do you consider yourself rich this morning? Maybe your thoughts have been... Man, with inflation and all this stuff going on, how am I even going to have enough gifts to give? No matter where you stand financially, if you are in Christ, you are rich. We see the contrast between what Jesus gave and what we have become. For your sake, He 
or uh, um, though he was rich, here's the contrast, he became poor. So that you, and then we have another contrast, by his poverty might become rich. We see an exchange here happening. Now this is where, uh, if you're in Philippians, if uh, uh, turn over there to Philippians chapter 2. So many of you are familiar with this passage. And again, Christ's giving is to be reflected in our hearts and minds. And that's why verse 5 says, Have this mind among yourselves, Philippians 2, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. It means that, that he was e- uh, God the Son was equal with God the Father from eternity past. It wasn't something that he had to try to attain. He already was equal with God the Father. And then verse 7 says, But he emptied himself. How? By taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, what this passage is saying, he emptied himself. How did Jesus, how, how, how could God the Son empty himself God the Son never stopped being God the Son equal with God the Father. It's not talking about somehow emptying himself of being God. No, it's a term that's called subtraction through addition. In other words, God humbled himself. He emptied himself not by losing something, but by adding something to himself, what did he add? He added the form, the nature of a servant. What was that nature, that form of a servant? It's called humanity. He became, for us, the God-man. It's kind of like a, a, a prince and that prince is, is, is ruling the kingdom along with his father, the king. And that prince says, I need to go and I need to serve my people. So what I am going to do is I am going to go and I am going to take the cloak of a peasant and put it on myself so that I can go and serve and help the commoner. He never stopped becoming a here. He never stopped being a prince. But what he did was he added a different element to himself. He put on the cloak of a pauper. That's the incarnation. That is what we celebrate at Christmas. That is Jesus, though he was enjoying the splendors of heaven. All of the worship of the angels. He added to himself humanity while still being 100% God. And he came to live in this broken world. He came to serve in this broken world. Verse 9 of Philippians 2, he came to die in this broken world. Listen, no matter how great a trial or how much of a, of a disappointment you have with God because He did not meet your expectations of what you were hoping He would do in, a, in, in some situation, how could that ever be greater than this ultimate sacrifice between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? How could we ever spit in the face of God to deny this most gracious and most loving and most tangible gift. That's why Paul says in Romans 8, if God has freely given us His Son, will He not also with Him freely give us all things? All things pertaining to God completing that work that He sent His Son to start. 
You see, we have the example of Jesus displayed. The contrast. He who was rich became poor so that we who were poor can become rich. Another passage that I love concerning Jesus as He takes upon Himself humanity, the, the, uh, the nature of a human. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, Therefore He had to be made like His brothers. Boy, doesn't that, doesn't that give you some warm fuzzies when you think He had to be made like His brothers and, and, uh, and sisters you can include in that term. We are Jesus' brothers and sisters if we are are His followers. It says He had to be made like His brothers in every respect, not just a few things. The prince that became a pauper didn't go back to the castle at night to enjoy the delicacies of the kingdom. He was made like us in every respect. Why? So that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God to make, and here's a big word, propitiation. That simply means satisfaction. To make the satisfaction for the sins of the people. You see, we now have a high priest in the heavenlies. It's not a human. It is Jesus Christ Himself who not only presents the offering, but is the offering for our sins. And He knows what it is like to be a human. He endured temptation. He endured hardship. He he endured um, rejection. He Himself, He says, had nowhere that he called his permanent home. But yet he endured it all perfectly. That is our Savior. So as we see the example of Jesus' grace displayed, This grace is an abundant, overflowing grace. It is is supplied for every single day of our lives that no matter what circumstances uh, happen to us, we are still, as the end of verse 9 says, rich in Christ. We have to note the contrast of all that Jesus temporarily gave up. I didn't have time to keep reading in Philippians 2, but it says that He became obedient to the point of death. And and now God has highly exalted Jesus through His obedience, through His humility, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow one day and confess Christ as Lord. But even in remembering this contrast, we also have to remember a danger. That danger, that verse 9, as we really focus in, because this is the heartbeat of giving, the danger is finding riches in other things. You see, the uh, the Bible and verse 9 doesn't say that we might become rich by having lots of money or having lots of cars or having lots of this or that or whatever. It's talking here, we are spiritually rich. The riches of Christ are spiritual riches. They are riches of, the, of, of God's kingdom, not the kingdom of this world. And the danger that we have is uh, to start seeking the riches of the world's kingdom and we forget what we have in Christ. In fact, as we've been going through 1 Corinthians, haven't we kind of seen that with the Corinthian Christians? You remember in chapter 4 and verse 8, Paul's kind of having to to be a little um, uh, pointed and sarcastic with the church to wake them up. And he says, already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. Without us you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. Uh, the, The Corinthian believers, they were seeking riches in the wrong things. So really what we see the call for us to follow is every day we must remember 
what the good news of the gospel has accomplished, that we are, our eternity is secure. And every day, because God's grace is poured out to us, we live in the spiritual riches of Christ. That as we go to Him with our sin struggles, as we go to Him wanting to be used by Him to serve Him, as we go to Him with our, with our difficulties and sometimes navigating through life, that no matter what we're going through, we are secure in our union with Jesus. Our identity in Christ is steadfast. And the prayer of our hearts is not just, Lord, take these difficulties away from us. It is, Lord, would you grow my faith? Would you grow me as a Christian that I would start learning to walk in accordance with my union to Jesus and not my union to circumstances? That's spiritual growth. Verse 9 also shows us not just that we note the contrast of what Jesus has given us and what we were. Not only do we have to be mindful of the danger, but we have to realize why we give. We give because we are spiritually rich, not materially rich. It seems like a no-brainer, but man, we really need to let this sink in. And we're going to look at this as we, as we look um, at, at, at the, the, what Paul continues to say and as we go back to the beginning of the chapter. We give because we are spiritually rich, not materially rich. Let me give you one example of that. Um, we're not going to turn there, but if you want to write down, if you're taking notes, Mark 12 verses 41 to 44 is a great example of that. What's going on there in Mark 12? Jesus has gone to the temple. He, he, he's going to be crucified soon. And man, I, I, uh, right now I'm reading through the book of Luke. Um, I, I finished Mark not too long ago. I'm doing the read through the Bible in two-year plan. And uh, just taking my time. And uh, I remember when I was reading this in Mark, I just thought, man, imagine the scene. So Jesus is in the temple, and he sits down on the bench or whatever is there in the temple court where they would give their offerings. And he's watching people give. Can you imagine the scene? The very Son of God is watching. And the text says that there's some that are coming that are giving much. And then there's, there's this, 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 this old lady, and she's, she's a, uh, I think the text may say she's a widow, I'm not sure, but she's very poor, and she puts in the offering two mites. Now, those aren't the bed bugs she found that morning. It was really, it was almost as if, it's almost considered nothing. I mean, almost like you'd consider, you know, a child that puts in two pennies in the offering. And Jesus, he, he sees that. And he, and he says to his disciples, he says, do you see that lady? That lady has given all that she has. She has given so much more than anyone else. You see, it's not the amount of your income that determines why you give. It is not because you are materially rich. It is because you are spiritually rich that you give. And we're going to unpack that further as, as we go along. But I want to ask you today. When you think of giving, and, and again, that could be financial giving, that could be, that could be giving Christ your life, seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, not laying up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, thieves break through and steal. When you think of giving, 
Is it a drudgery? Is it a have to? Is it something that just fills your mind with guilt because you know you are not? Or when you think of giving, does the gift of the grace of Christ first enter your heart? Is that what you think about when it comes to giving? Because that is what is going to drive any other giving. As we're going to see next week, uh, giving's not always easy. It's not like you're always skipping to give. But yet, that is always driving your giving. Maybe this morning, there needs to be repentance. That man, I have gotten really, really me-focused in life. You know, I'm busy at work, I'm busy with kids, I'm busy with this, I'm busy with that, and I have gotten really, really me-focused. And Man, I'm not living according to the union I have with Christ. Christ's abundant grace, His giving that we saw in verse 9, it is not the motivating factor in my life. Maybe you've been going through the motions. Whatever the case may be, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. Regardless of where we are, the gospel call is the same to Christian and non-Christian alike. Look to Jesus and live. Let's pray. Lord, as we close today,